Hello and welcome along to F1 Rewind, the podcast where we delve into the Formula 1 archives to bring you the stories and events which happened on each day in motorsport history. Hello everybody and welcome back to F1 Rewind. The new Formula 1 season is finally getting closer. But before it arrives, I've got a few more F1 tales for you from June the 17th. It's the day on which Charles Goodyear obtained his first rubber patent in 1837, the day that the Statue of Liberty arrived in New York aboard a French ship in 1885, and the day on which Dolly Parton recorded I Will Always Love You in 1973. It's also the day that Jim Clark won a Grand Prix for the first time in 1962, the day that the first and last Swedish Grand Prix were held in the 1970s, and the day that Sebastian Vettel became Formula 1's youngest point scorer in 2007. And as it happens, today is also the day that the world's first purpose-built motorsport venue opened. Brooklands in Surrey officially opened on the 17th of June 1907. It hosted its first 24-hour race within two weeks of being opened, with several hundred railway lamps being used to light the track during the night. Brooklands was an oval track, with banking which reached almost 30 feet in height in some places. Racing continued at the track for 32 years, until 1939, when the site became used for development of military aircraft during the Second World War. The area was in a bad condition after the war, especially after being bombed by the German Air Force in September 1940. Today, the circuit forms part of the Brooklands Museum. Also coming up today, Brabham's fan car, an Indianapolis lawsuit, a driver-turned-team-owner, PK collapses, an expensive number plate, and an odd number of tyres. So let's get on with it then. Here are all the stories and headlines from F1 History on the 17th of June. First up on today's podcast, a few tales from Belgium and Spa, including three qualifying sessions and two races which have happened on this day. We'll go through them in chronological order, starting with qualifying for the 1950 event. Only 14 cars were entered for the 1950 Belgian Grand Prix. The layout had been changed slightly since 1949, and it was expected that the 14km lap would be carried out at an average speed of 180km per hour. The high speeds were expected to suit Alfa Romeo, and they certainly did. All three Alfa cars lined up on the front row, with Giuseppe Farina and Juan Manuel Fangio setting identical fastest lap times. Their closest challenges were 10 seconds slower. Only 8 of the 14 cars set a lap time in qualifying. Juan Manuel Fangio went on to win the 1950 Belgian Grand Prix, but he'd have a bit of a nightmare at Spa one year later in the 1951 Belgian Grand Prix, which was held on the 17th of June. Fangio had new suspension with special concave wheels, which proved to be a bit costly. He was running in the top three until his pit stop, which lasted for quarter of an hour after his wheels became jammed. The issue meant that he eventually finished the race in only ninth place, the worst result of his career. Aside from DNFs, the vast majority of which were due to reliability or mechanical issues, this is the only time that Fangio finished lower than 4th place in his entire Formula 1 career. 
Ten years later on this day, qualifying for the 1961 Spa race was held. Race organisers had allowed 25 entries for this event, but only a pre-selected 16 cars, plus the three fastest from the other nine entries, would be eligible to receive starting money. Three cars ended up not starting the race as a result of the dispute, while Cliff Allison was also a non-starter due to sustaining serious leg injuries at Blanchimont the day before qualifying. In qualifying itself, it was eventual 1961 world champion Phil Hill who set the fastest time, and he was the only driver to set a lap time below four minutes. One year later, the 1962 Belgian Grand Prix was held on this day. There were a number of firsts in this Grand Prix, the first race for Joe Siffert, the first pole position for Graham Hill, and the first victory for Jim Clark. Despite not liking the track, having been traumatised by events over the 1960 Belgian Grand Prix weekend, Clark won by 44 seconds. He'd go on to win at Spa another three times during his career. After winning the 1961 event from Paul, Phil Hill finished on the podium for the final time in his career at this event. Another first in this race, Mexican Ricardo Rodriguez scored the first points of his career, which made him Formula 1's youngest points scorer. His record lasted for 38 years, until it was broken by Jensen Button at the 2000 Brazilian Grand Prix. Oh, and one strange thing about the 1962 Belgian Grand Prix, this was the first time that odd numbers were assigned to cars for the event. In every year previously, only even numbers had been allocated. The most recent spa action to take place on this day was qualifying for the 1967 Belgian Grand Prix. Jim Clark took pole with a lap time over three seconds faster than anyone else. Two drivers who competed in World Championship races have been born on this day. The first is Myron Faure, who was born on the 17th of June 1912. His only Formula 1 race start, and I say Formula 1 in inverted commas, was at the 1950 Indianapolis 500, where he finished in 11th place. He'd go on to try and race at the event again in the following year, but failed to qualify. Faure, who was from Wisconsin, had taken multiple wins at the top tier of American open-wheel racing, and had previously appeared at the Brickyard in 1949, where he finished in fourth place. The only driver born on this day who started a proper Formula 1 Grand Prix is Adrian Campos, who celebrates his 60th birthday today. The Spaniard entered 21 races in 1987 and 1988, but failed to score a point. In fact, he only finished two races, the 1987 Spanish Grand Prix, where he finished 14th, and the 1988 San Marino Grand Prix, where he finished 16th. Although Campos didn't have the most successful of F1 careers, he has been much more successful as a team owner. He founded Campos Motorsport in 1998, with Marc Genet and Fernando Alonso being among the names that drove for the team in its formative years. Campos entered the GP2 series when it was launched in 2005 and won the team's championship in 2008. Campos continues to now race in both Formula 2 and Formula 3. Earlier on, I mentioned Brooklands, which was the world's first purpose-built motor racing track. And the second purpose-built motor racing track opened less than a year later. That track? The Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And in 2007, Indianapolis hosted the United States Grand Prix for the final time. In the race, Lewis Hamilton took a second consecutive victory, two weeks after scoring his maiden win at the Canadian Grand Prix. 
As a result of Robert Kubica's crash in Montreal, Sebastian Vettel made his debut in this race for BMW Sauber. The German didn't do too badly either, and scored the first point of his career by finishing in 8th place. And in doing so, just as Ricardo Rodriguez had done on the same day 45 years earlier, Vettel became the sport's new youngest point scorer. It's a record which has since been beaten by four drivers, all of whom are on the current grid, Danny Kvyat, Lando Norris, Lance Stroll and Max Verstappen. Verstappen is the record holder, having scored points at the age of 17 in the 2015 Malaysia Grand Prix. The 2007 United States Grand Prix would also be the last time that Scott Speed would finish a Grand Prix in his career. He retired from his final three races at Toro Rosso and was replaced by who other than Sebastian Vettel. And staying at Indianapolis for our next story, and it was on this day that the farcical 2005 United States Grand Prix weekend began. Ralph Schumacher had to be taken to hospital following a crash in his Toyota during practice, which was the result of a tyre failure. The incident was the catalyst for a series of events which led to none of the cars on Michelin tyres starting the race. On this day one year later, in 2006, judges dismissed a lawsuit against the sports organisers, the teams, the tyre companies and the track, which asked for compensation for ticket and travel costs for fans who attended the race. Talking of Indianapolis, a former driver who died on this day is an Indianapolis 500 winner. Bob Swikert was his name, and he died in a crash at Salem Speedway on this day in 1956, just over a year after his win at the Brickyard. You may recognise Swikert's name from this very podcast a few weeks ago, on the 20th of May, as I mentioned him on his birthday. If you want to hear more about him, head on over to that episode. The only other former driver who died on this day is Paul England. The Australian made his only Formula 1 appearance at the 1957 German Grand Prix in a Formula 2 car. He retired after only four laps. After a brief spell in Europe, England returned to his homeland where he won three Australian hill climb championships in the early 1970s. After retiring from racing, he owned an engineering company in Victoria which is now run by his eldest daughter. He died at the age of 85 on the 17th of June 2014. We're heading over to Sweden next for two races which were held on the 17th of June. Both the first World Championship Swedish Grand Prix and the last World Championship Swedish Grand Prix were held on this date. We'll start with the first one held at Anderstorp in 1973 and what a day it could have been for Swedish motorsport fans. Ronnie Peterson, who had started from pole, was on course to take the first win of his career at his home event, but on the penultimate lap, the Swede had a slow puncture and he was passed by Denny Holm. Nevertheless, Peterson still finished on the podium in front of his home fans. Two other things about this race. Firstly, Graham Hill became the first driver to make 150 Grand Prix starts. And secondly, the race had a smaller field than usual. Only 22 of the 29 entered cars showed up, and that was due to the teams not having enough time to repair the cars from the Monaco Grand Prix two weeks previously, as the cars had to be transported on a 1,200 mile road trip from Monte Carlo to Anderstop. 
Five years later, the final Swedish Grand Prix took place on June the 17th. And this race is famous for having Brabham's fan car competing in it. The Brabham BT46B was introduced to counter the dominant ground effect car being run by Lotus. The fan on the back of the Brabham was claimed to be for increased cooling, but more effectively, it generated a huge amount of downforce. And it was pretty handy too. While Mario Andretti took pole for Lotus by six tenths of a second, the race was a different story, with Brabham's Nicky Lauda winning by over half a minute. It was the only appearance for the fan car though, as Brabham withdrew it before the next race, despite the FIA ruling that the design was legal. The reason for that was that Bernie Eccleston was the team owner of Brabham as well as chief executive of the Formula One Constructors Association. He was concerned that the car would spark upset among other teams and lead to the collapse of the association. And of course it's through the Formula One Constructors Association that Eccleston positioned himself as chief executive of the Formula One group. Also at the 1978 Swedish Grand Prix, Ricardo Patrese took his first podium finish and gave Arrows their first top three result too. And this was also the first race where Professor Sid Watkins was the official race doctor. The Swedish Grand Prix was discontinued after 1978, mainly due to the deaths of Formula 1's Swedish stars. While Ronnie Peterson was killed in a crash at Monza a few months after the last Swedish race, Gunnar Nilsson died from cancer in October 1978. The country's interest in the sport declined and the event was cancelled for the following year. We spent most of last week's episode talking about the Canadian Grand Prix and there are a few more Canadian stories for this week too. Firstly, the 1984 Canadian Grand Prix took place on this day. Reigning world champion Nelson Piquet took the win, but after the race, the Brazilian collapsed due to having a badly burned right foot. The burn was caused by a new oil cooler on his Brabham car, which burned a hole in his driving boot. Behind him, McLaren's Nicky Lauda and Alan Prost finished second and third, and McLaren celebrated their 100th podium finish as a result. Two Montreal qualifying sessions have also taken place on the 17th of June. In 2000, Michael Schumacher took pole by setting a lap time less than a tenth faster than David Coulthard, while in 1989, Alan Prost took pole by similarly being less than a tenth faster than Ayrton Senna. The fastest times in 1989 were actually set on Friday the 16th of June, as weather conditions were damp on the Saturday. This qualifying session led to there being an unprecedented 18 different teams on the grid for the following day's race. It remains the record for the highest number of different constructors to start a Grand Prix. And lastly for today, a roundup of all the headlines from this day in history. And we start with a circuit which has been in the news recently, Imola. Imola is apparently one of the frontrunners to host a one-off Grand Prix in 2020 as F1 looks to extend its European season. But on this day in 2015, it was reported that the former host of the San Marino Grand Prix could share the Italian Grand Prix with Monza. Monza was experiencing financial difficulties at the time and Bernie Eccleston was keen to do a deal to ensure that the Italian event remained on the calendar. In the end, the deal was never done and Monza has remained as the sole host of the race. 
Next up, a strange one from 1997, as it was revealed that Michael Schumacher used too many tyres in that year's Canadian Grand Prix. He used 31 tyres instead of 28, but was allowed to keep his win as race officials had not filled in the tyre forms correctly. The Ferrari driver had made one more pit stop than planned and had somehow fitted only three new tyres during it. It was a bad day in the office for Alexander Wirtz on this day in 2003. First, some background. McLaren had a disappointing year in 2002 and decided that they needed a revolutionary car in 2003. That car was the MP418, but after several testing problems and with the car failing multiple FIA crash tests, the team opted to use their 2002 car for the opening races of the season, while further tests were carried out on the new car. On this day in 2003, Wirtz was behind the wheel in a test at Jerez and crashed heavily, causing serious damage to the McLaren. A team statement said that initial feedback suggested that the accident was not due to a mechanical failure. Kimi Raikkonen had also crashed the car one week earlier. Ultimately, the MP418 was never raced, and what McLaren called a debugged version of the car formed the basis for their 2004 effort, the MP419. The first ever on-track running at the Baku City Circuit took place on this day in 2016 with the opening practice sessions for the European Grand Prix. And it didn't all go smoothly. After the first F1 practice session, the GP2 qualifying session was scheduled to take place. But the red flag came out after just 77 seconds in order for a track inspection to take place. This was following reports that the F1 tyres had been damaged by kerbs in the practice session. The GP2 qualifying session was abandoned and rescheduled for that evening. As a side note, Antonio Giovinazzi eventually ended up on pole in a race weekend where he would take victories in both the feature and sprint races. Back to the end of the previous decade now and on this day in 2009, Lola withdrew their application to Formula 1 after failing to receive a place on the 2020 entry list. Their team owner was said to be disappointed given the huge amount of work that had gone into the project, believing that the team could be a legitimate and serious competitor. And finally, on this day in 2008, it was reported that Lewis Hamilton had spent $400,000 on a personalised number plate. Hamilton purchased it for use on his Mercedes 4x4 in Switzerland. The number plate read LEW1S and he bought it from property tycoon Bob Lewis, who had paid less than a quarter of that price for the same number plate. But hey, a deal's a deal. That's your lot for this week's episode of F1 Rewind. I'll be back next week with one last load of tales from the F1 treasure trove before the 2020 season finally gets underway. Have a good week, and I will see you then. <laughs>